When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind-the-scenes conversations about various aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of all of my interviews, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month and a monthly advanced read and pre-publication author chat. For those on Facebook, I host a special Patreon Facebook group where we all chat books. Thanks so much to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, I am chatting with Elizabeth Barnhill about titles that make great book club selections. Elizabeth is the adult book buyer for the independent bookstore in Waco, Texas, fabled bookshop and cafe. She graduated from Baylor University and worked for 20 years as a speech pathologist before turning her lifelong passion of reading and books into her dream job when Fabled opened in 2019. Elizabeth spends her days reading as many upcoming releases as possible and hosting events at Fabled. You can find her on Bookstagram at Waco Reads. I always love talking books with Elizabeth, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Welcome, Elizabeth. How are you today? Oh, I'm so great. So good to finally get to talk to you again, Cindy. I know it has been way too long. You and I have both had the craziest starts to 2022, so we have not had a chance to do a podcast episode in a while, and I'm just absolutely thrilled to pieces that you're back. Me too. I've I've missed talking to you. I've missed talking to you as well. I know you just finished up Fabled Spring Preview, and you guys highlighted a bunch of books for spring and some upcoming books. And so now are you moving ahead to start reading summer books or what is on your radar these days? Well, our spring reading preview was April through June and I'm very disciplined. I will not even look at a book that comes out in July until that preview is finished. So we finished that on Tuesday and I spent a glorious day uh, the next day just organizing my TBR list. I love to uh, make lists. So I've got 40 books that are coming out in July and August that I'm so excited to dig into. So I've got my list ready. I've already got at least two of them read from the list. So, so far, so good. One of them is a five star and one of them may be close to five stars. I'm so impressed that you were that disciplined because I'm all over the place. I'm such a mood reader. 
And if something sounds good to me, I'm like, okay, it's not coming out till November, but I really want to read it. So I end up reading that. And then I'm still trying to get through my May and June reads. So your approach is much better. Well, the nice thing is when there's 40 books on your TBR, you can find a mood for just about anything in all those books. Absolutely. And since you work at the store, the way you're doing things, you need to do that. Mine can be a little bit more all over the place, but I sometimes think I would do better if I would just focus on what's ahead of me. But there are some that I just am like, I cannot wait. Oh, I completely understand. There are several books that I'm that are just staring at me that are coming out in October, November. And I just want to say I'll get to you soon enough. Exactly. Do you make piles of your books or you just make lists and work through it that way? Or do you kind of organize all your books into different slots? How does that work for you? Well, I have I have several things I do. I actually I put all of my TBR currently reading in Goodreads. And I have a handwritten note, so I can, I love to just cross it off with my, with a pen. And then I have a note that I share with several people at Fabled and they can add their books as well. I write a summary of the books I love and I put it on Edelweiss so the publishers can see what I think about the books. And um, I have about half of the books are physical arcs that I have at my office and I have them in a special spot in my office. And then when I'm down to about, oh, I don't know, 10 to 15 of them that are coming out in a certain time frame. I bring them to my room. That's that's when they, <laughs> they're onboarded in my room. So right now I've got books coming out in July that are on my bedside table and I'm going through them as fast as I can. Well, that's impressive and very organized. And I feel like I need to find a system like that. I mean, I'm working on it and I think it kind of varies day to day. But it would be nice, I think, if I was a little bit more organized about my approach. And of course, the podcast really dictates for me because I have to make sure something's read before I interview somebody. Oh, sure. And of course, there's no right or wrong way to do it. I'm just, I'm just somebody who loves lists and loves crossing things off lists. So this really, really um, scratches that itch for me. Absolutely. There's nothing I love more than crossing something off a list. <laughs> it is very satisfying. Yes, it is. Today, we're going to talk about 12 book club books each. You chose 12 and I chose 12 that we think would be wonderful books for book clubs to discuss. They provide enough fodder, enough interesting conversation topics, a variety of things that will appeal to groups when they're looking for a book. Yes, I am so passionate about this. I've been in my personal book club for nearly 20 years. It's one of the things that means the most to me. I will do anything to make sure I don't miss it. So in my list, I've included various genres. I've got some new releases some upcoming releases, a few backlists, and books that my personal book club really enjoyed. I, I still see them on the shelves and remember the conversation I had even 10 years ago with my, with my group of friends. Well, that makes me happy because I included several that have been popular with my book club as well, just because I felt like that was a very valid way to know that it would be good for a book club because my group loved it, discussed it, really enjoyed it, and sometimes still talks about it. Mm -hmm. I love it. All right. Will you want to go first? Well, sure. Um, I My first one is a fairly new release. And when I was reading it, I thought, oh my goodness, this would be such a good book club discussion book. And that is The Love of My Life by Rosie Walsh. So we have uh, Emma and Leo. They are married and they have a young daughter named Ruby. And Emma just adores her family. She would do any, anything for them. But one thing is she has not told her husband the truth about her life. So Emma is a semi-famous nature documentary host who had cancer. And we know fairly soon she's going to be okay. 
But Leo writes obituaries, and typically famous people get their obituaries written early just so when that person dies, they can hit send quickly on the on the um, obituary. So Leo goes to start researching his wife, Emma, and realizes that things aren't what they seem, and Emma's name isn't even Emma. And there's lots more that aren't exactly what they seem. So this book is propulsive. It's so interesting. And there are scenes at the end that I don't really want to speak about because that might give things away. But there are some mental health issues as well as postpartum depression. I think this would be a fabulous book club discussion book. That is The Love of My Life by Rosie Walsh. I agree completely. I really enjoyed that book. And it also has a beautiful cover, you know, me and covers. (laughs) But I think it would definitely make a fabulous book club discussion. And I spoke with her. I interviewed her for the podcast. And it was really interesting to talk with her about postpartum issues and, you know, just trying to struggle through COVID, the whole pandemic with young children. And it was a very, very interesting interview and the whole obituary process. She was delightful. Um, another one, just if, if if the postpartum depression topic is of interest to your group, I also read Little Darlings by Melanie Golding this year, and that one was very, very interesting and would be an interesting book club discussion book for that same topic. I've seen people posting about that one. Really, really good, especially on audio. Oh, okay, good. That's good to know. Well, my first one is I Must Betray You by Ruta Sepetis. And it is a YA book, but Ruta writes crossover, so they really read as adult books versus YA books. And I have recommended this to so many people and have heard nothing but wonderful things. I think it would make a great book club book because there's so much happening in the story related to what's happening today, I think, in Ukraine. So it would be an interesting one to kind of read as a timely read. But it's set in Romania in 1989, and it's the communist regimes are crumbling across Europe. 17-year-old Christian Florescu dreams of becoming a writer, but Romanians aren't free to dream. They are bound by rules and force. Amid the tyrannical dictatorship of Nicolae Ceausescu in a country governed by isolation and fear, Christian is blackmailed by the secret police to become an informer. He's left with only two choices, betray everyone and everything he loves, or use his position to creatively undermine the most notoriously evil dictator in Eastern Europe. So as the story goes on, Christian tries to decide what to do and know who to trust and who not to trust. It's set in the time period leading up to Romania's 1989 revolution and the ousting of the charismatic but brutal dictator Ceausescu. And everybody is insulated and living in constant fear. And that part, I felt she just portrayed it so vividly, like you just were there in their homes, understanding what it was like to have no food. The electricity is turned off and on regularly. No outside media is allowed, so they only are listening to government propaganda unless they can somehow figure out how to stream in banned radio station. And so I just felt like it was such an interesting story, and it's a story that a lot of people are not familiar with. And so I think it would make a wonderful book club book, lots to discuss in terms of what it's like to live under that kind of regime, what it would be like to not be able to trust even your other family members, and then what happens when a regime like that is overthrown. So it's a very emotional story, but there is a ton to discuss. And that is I Must Betray You by Ruta Sepetis. Yeah, I don't get to read her because that's in the YA realm, which is not what I read for. But I've heard nothing but good things about her. And I actually remember when that happened. I, it's one of the first 
news stories. I mean, I was 14 when it happened, but I remember just being glued to my television, hearing about Nikolai Ceausescu. So that sounds like one I would be interested in and maybe even have my daughter read. It would be a great one for your daughter to read. And I remember when it happened too, I just didn't know everything involved and what it was like living there at the time. And, you know, it was such a different time too. We didn't have the internet and there wasn't all this social media. So you didn't necessarily know the ins and outs of what was happening on the street there. But obviously he was a terrible ruler and it's a very interesting but sad story. Well, that's a good good pick. Well, my next one is one that I actually finished last week and I can't wait to talk about it with everybody. And that is The Anomaly by Hervé Latelier. He is a French author and I probably just butchered that, but I, I did my best. And this one in June of 2021, a flight from Paris to New York is over the Atlantic. On board are Blake, a part-time contract killer who lives a double life as a, a family man. Slim Boy, who is a Nigerian pop star who has to hide the fact that he is homosexual because it's a big problem in Nigeria. A formidable lawyer named Joanna, who is a, a black woman uh, who's kind of sold her soul to a big business because she needs to make enough money to support her mother. And a novelist named Victor Mycel. The flight experiences horrendous turbulence, which made my scaredy cat flyer self want to throw up but they make it through and things are the same and also very different on the other side. I don't want to say any more about it and I caution you not to read much more about it before you pick it up. My friend Meredith, who recommended the book to me, likened it to Amor Toll's writing Lost and I don't think I could think of a better description. There are scenes in the second half of the book that I'm still thinking about and wonder how I would handle them if I were in their shoes. This is also a French book translated into English, which some book clubs kind of like to find a book in translation. And I could not recommend this book more highly. It is The Anomaly. I love that book so much. And without having any kind of a spoiler conversation, I will say that's one that there are many interpretations for the ending. And I have talked to like five different people, and I swear all five of us have a different idea of exactly how it ended. And I even spent all this time online trying to see what people thought. And there's just this huge debate about exactly what happens in the end. That is so interesting. So after we record and, and, and push end, you and I can talk about it. Exactly. Because I finished it and immediately I was texting my friend Meredith, what in the world just happened? So she told me her what her theory is and I like it, but that'll be interesting to, to discuss. I just was so surprised I started reading the reviews and it gives a whole lot away. Really, I, I'm, I'm glad that I went into it blind and I didn't know you'd read it. Valerie Kaler, who owns Blue Willow Books, was our guest for our salon in December. We usually host authors, but this time around we hosted her and she did a bunch of recommendations and that was one of her recommendations and it sounded so good. She gave away a little more than you did. And so I was like, oh gosh, I've got to read that. So I bought it and I read it and I thought it was fabulous. And then I reached out to her as soon as it was done and another friend of mine because they all read it at Blue Willow in the end. And we were all kind of going round and round about how it ended. But I think I posted about it, but it's been a while, but I really liked it. That's a great book club recommendation. Yeah, I, I told, I saw my book club on Sunday and I said, oh, I've got a new book that we're definitely going to have to do very soon. Absolutely. So my next one is The High House by Jesse Greengrass. I don't know if you and I have talked about this book together or not, but I just loved it. 
Yeah, I remember you telling me about it, the climate fiction. Yes. So it involves Francesca, a famous environmental scientist slash activist, who's preparing for widespread disaster that will be coming soon due to climate change. She's frustrated by a world that refuses to act, so she secretly prepares a house she inherited for her son and her stepdaughter, Caro, to retreat to once the rising tides arrive. When a cataclysmic disaster wipes out portions of the country, Polly, her son, and Caro head to the high house to escape and meet the two caretakers, Sally and Grandy, individuals Francesca hired to look out for her children. The two pairs learn to live together in the wake of tragedy, dwindling supplies, and an uncertain future. What I loved about the high house was there is just this total unsettling feeling the entire time you're reading because you know something's coming, you know what it is in some form or another, and you just are waiting to see what happens and how the characters react. It's definitely a slow story. It's character driven. It's not a thriller, an action packed story, but I just thought it was beautiful. And I have not stopped thinking about it since I finished it. I really like climate fiction. And I think as more and more dramatic climate events are occurring, this book and others are going to be continually more relevant. And I think it gives book clubs a lot to discuss. You know, what are the impacts going to be of climate change? How are different people going to respond? What can we do to try to help prevent some of these things from happening? And just generally, what's it going to be like? Now, it's not a super cheery topic. But it is an important topic, and I thought this book handled it well. And it's not a very long read at all. And that's The High House by Jesse Greengrass. Yes, I thought this had a beautiful cover. And I think I tried to read it after Christmas, and it it is a little slower. And I think at the time, I was wanting a faster-paced one. So I put it aside for not right now. I do think it's one that I would like to revisit. Yes, it's definitely a character study. It is not a fast-paced story in the slightest. But it's interesting and it makes you think. Okay, so my next one is a book that came out this month, and it is Take My Hand by Dolan Perkins Valdez. Um, This was actually the first book that I read for our spring preview, and it was a five-star book, and it'll be one of my very favorites of the year. It is set in Alabama in 1973. Sybil Townsend is our main character. Uh, She takes a nursing job at the Montgomery Family Planning Clinic intended to help women to make their own choices. During one of our first visits uh, at the job, she meets two little girls who are living in absolute squalor. They are 11 and 13 years old. They haven't even begun puberty yet, but the family planning clinic had the girls on birth control and they hadn't even kissed a boy yet. So that kind of bothered Sybil. But then the unthinkable act occurs that is based on a true story. The events occur right after and geographically close to the Tuskegee Airmen incident. The story will break your heart and give you so much to talk about, including the roles of government in women's reproductive rights, as well as a savior complex and people's rights to live their lives as they seem fit, even if it's something that doesn't seem, quote, right. I was just blown away by this story and... I'm excited to say that Fabled had chose it for our May Book Club and will be speaking to the author on May the 10th. I absolutely loved it, and it's got a gorgeous cover, and it's something that it's, it's a part of history that we really should know more about. I love that book. I had it on my She Reads Most Anticipated Historical Fiction list, and then when you posted about it, I was like, okay, good, because it sounded so good. I was hoping it was going to actually be so good. 
And it was, I agree. Complete five-star read will be one of my top reads of the year. Um, She's delightful. I interviewed her. You will love her when you speak with her for the book club. She is just so engaging and has a lot of great stories about it all and the research she did and the people she met. And I didn't put it on my list because I knew you were probably putting it on yours. <laughs> yes. And I, when I was reading it, it, it reminded me of Necessary Lies by Diane Chamberlain. I've had several people say that. So if you love this one, I would recommend that book. Or if you've read Necessary Lies and you loved it, definitely pick up Take My Hand. Okay, good. I have not read Necessary Lies, so I'll add that one to my list. So my next one is Once Upon a Wardrobe by Patty Callahan. This beautiful book is the perfect pick for book clubs to devour and discuss. Callahan's magical and captivating book, Once Upon a Wardrobe, delves into the question of what inspired C.S. Lewis to create Narnia. Meg's Devonshire studies math and science at Oxford and relies on facts versus intuition. When her terminally ill brother George becomes infatuated with a new book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and implores her to find out how Narnia came about, Megs finds herself visiting C.S. Lewis, an Oxford Don, and his brother Warney, hoping to answer George's questions. Instead of providing her answers, however, Lewis tells her stories about his own life growing up, which she then relays each weekend when she goes home to George. While Meg struggles to find the connections, George helps her understand the stories that Lewis relates and how they led to the creation of Narnia. This is the current selection for both my personal book club and the online book club that I run for my literary salon. And I've had such great feedback, even though we haven't met for either one yet. People keep messaging me how much they love the book. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was one of my favorite books growing up. So I love learning about where C.S. Lewis got his ideas, though at times it's quite sad. He did not have the greatest childhood. But I think it's interesting to see how people use their experiences to create something fabulous and something as iconic as Narnia and something that almost everyone you mention Narnia to will know it. I think the cover does turn some people off. I've kind of heard mixed feedback on it, makes it seem like it's a lighter and fluffier story than it is. But I think it has a lot of depth and there's plenty of topics to talk about that would really inspire a book club and it would be a good lengthy discussion, I think. And that is Once Upon a Wardrobe by Patty Callahan. I loved that book. I knew you did. But that is interesting that she has negative feedback about the cover. I, the only thing I would say is it just looks like a Christmas book. I don't know that she's had negative feedback. I've just heard people say, oh, the cover. I don't love the cover. And it does look like a holiday book. But also it just looks kind of fluffy with this girl. I don't know, with all the snow and everything. But I just always say it's really a great book. And as soon as anybody picks it up and dives into it, they love it. Yes, I I 100% endorse that one. Yay. All right, so my next one is a book that is coming out soon. And I read this one on Tuesday, two, two days ago. <laughs> but when I was thinking about books that would really make for good discussion, I thought, well, I'll just add this one because it's so good. And it is Any Other Family by Eleanor Brown. Eleanor Brown has written a beautiful glimpse into the lives of three adoptive mothers who have adopted four biological siblings between the three families. They have a relationship with the birth mom and spend dinners and vacations together in an attempt to keep the siblings close. On a shared summer vacation, the biological mother calls the adoptive parents to say she is pregnant again and can they help find a mother and father for her next child. Drama ensues. Eleanor Brown is such a revelation and writes women so well. I loved the nuances of all the mothers and how they supported each other and drove each other crazy. 
Brown is an adoptive mother herself, and her wisdom on the topic drips from the pages. I can't wait to sell this book at Fabled, and I think it would make a fabulous book club book because she talks about, you know, found family. What does a family actually mean? There are different mothering styles with these three women. Uh, and really what happens when a woman, all she wants is to be a mother. And then she realizes that maybe that's not exactly what she wanted in the, after all. So I, there's so much to think about and to talk about. And she writes in such an accessible way. I really, really like this author and this book. That is Any Other Family by Eleanor Brown. I'm so glad that you're recommending that one. And I'd seen your post recently and I moved it up my list. But I'm actually in between books. I just finished one today. So I think I'm going to pick that up next because it sounds really good. Yes, I really enjoyed it. Good. So my next one is The Reading List by Sarah Nisha Adams. In this beautiful tribute to books and libraries, The Reading List tells the story of Alicia, a teenager with a troubled home situation, who decides to work in the library for the summer to escape her home life. There, she discovers a crumpled up piece of paper in the back of To Kill a Mockingbird. It's a list of novels that she's never heard of before. Intrigued and a little bored with her slow job at the checkout desk, she impulsively decides to read every book on the list one after the other. As each story gives up its magic, the book transports Alicia from the painful realities she's facing at home. When lonely widower Mukesh arrives at the library, Alicia passes along the reading list, hoping that it will be a lifeline for him as well. Slowly, the shared books create a connection between two lonely souls, as fiction helps them escape their grief and everyday troubles and find joy again. As the two read and discuss the books, they develop a sweet friendship that helps them both through very trying times. While parts of the book are incredibly sad, I absolutely loved the reading list and its focus on the power of books and community. I love found family stories, and this one is definitely such a story. I also think the discussion of the eight books that are listed in the book are an added bonus topic for book clubs that they will enjoy discussing whether people have read each of the books or some of the books and what they thought about them. My Neighborhood recently launched a book club and we started with this one as our inaugural read. It was a huge hit with the group, which is made up of both men and women and people that are a variety of ages, and it really resonated with every single person. So I think it would make a great book club recommended read. That's The Reading List by Sarah Nisha Adams. I love that book. And for people I've recommended it to, they just said it's just a breath of fresh air. And I think we all need a little bit of that in our reading life. And I love books about books. I learned about it from you when we were doing our summer recommended reads list. And it was one of your most anticipated that you hadn't read yet. And you described it. And I was like, I have to read that book. And so we got off the call and I reached out to the publicist and I just loved it. So I was very happy I learned about it from you. Oh, I had forgotten that. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. So my next one is The Kitchen Counter Cooking School by Kathleen Flynn. Now, I will say um, I'm a bit of a foodie. I love to cook. I love to entertain. And most of the people in our book club do as well. So when we can find a book that has recipes in it that we can cook for our book club, it makes it that much better. And this book has it in spades. So after graduating, and this is a, a, a memoir, this truly happened. After graduating from La Cordon Bleu in Paris, Writer Kathleen Flynn returned with no idea what to do next until one day at a supermarket, she watched a woman loading her cart with ultra processed foods. Flynn's quote, chef turnal instincts kicked in. She persuaded the stranger to reload with fresh foods, offering her simple recipes for healthy, easy meals. The kitchen counter cooking school includes practical, healthy tips that boost readers' culinary self confidence. 
and strategies to get the most from their grocery dollar, and simple recipes that get readers cooking. When I read this book, I dog-eared the entire thing. I still have it in my pantry. I still cook from it, and I make her roasted chicken frequently. I loved the stories about the women and the recipes. That is The Kitchen Counter Cooking School by Kathleen Flynn. I really could use that book. I'm a terrible cook and I need help with even the most basic things. So I really need to track that one down. That This one really will boost your confidence and it will give you just, if you if you have these things in your refrigerator, this is what you can make. So it's kind of a, an interesting way to look at cooking. I like that. Well, my next one is Woman on Fire by Lisa Barr. This book has been billed as historical fiction, which I find interesting because it's really not. It's really a present-day thriller that deals with events in the past. So I always want to kind of say that at the beginning because I still hear people when they're talking about the book going, I thought it was historical fiction, but it's not. (laughs) Hmm. And it also includes a fascinating art storyline dealing with Nazi looted art, which I really enjoyed. After talking her way into a job with Dan Mansfield, the leading investigative reporter in Chicago, Rising young journalist Jules Roth is given an unusual and very secret assignment. Dan needs her to locate a painting stolen by the Nazis more than 75 years earlier. Legendary expressionist artist Ernst Engel's most famous work, Woman on Fire. World-renowned shoe designer Ellis Baum wants this portrait of a beautiful, mysterious woman for deeply personal reasons and has enlisted Dan's help to find it. But Jules doesn't have much time because the famous designer is dying. As Jules gets drawn into the dangerous and seductive art world of the uber-wealthy, she uncovers secrets and betrayals while becoming intrigued with the mesmerizing painting and its subject at the center of the drama. Using realistic twists and turns combined with a stellar plot and a very intriguing cast of characters, Barr has created a thriller with some history thrown in that kept me on the edge of my seat. There is much to think about with the stolen art angle and how so much art from World War II remains either unaccounted for or not returned to its proper owners. Lisa Barr is so engaging, and she's one of those people who loves to talk about her book and loves to visit book clubs. I just participated with Kelly of at Kelly Hook Reads Books and Ivana of Beaches, Books, and Bubbles with an event with her, and people really, really liked the book. And then Lisa did a wonderful job of coming on and talking about what inspired the book and how she wrote it and everything involved. It was a ton of fun. So I think Woman on Fire would be a wonderful book club recommendation. That sounds really good. There there were a couple of books that came out at the same time that were about art heists. So I that was one I did not get to, but I've, I've heard really good things from Kelly and from you about that book. So I may need to add it back to my TBR. I think you would really like it. And it's a pretty quick read, but there is a lot of history involved. She did a ton of research And she bases a fair amount of what happens on things that did happen. Hmm, Sounds good. All right. So my next one is When All is Said by Anne Griffin. At the bar of a grand hotel in a small Irish town sits 84-year-old Maurice Hannigan. Pull up a stool and fill your glass because Maurice is finally ready to tell you his story. Over the course of this evening, he will raise five toasts to the five people who have meant the most to him. Through these stories, we find joy, regret, tragedy, and love. The life of one man will be powerfully and poignantly laid bare. I found this to be a sad, yes, poignant book, ultimately, but it did make me ponder who would be the five people in my life that I would want to raise a glass to. So that was, I think that would make an interesting book club discussion. And I really, really enjoyed this book. 
That is When All is Said by Anne Griffin. I have that and I've just never gotten to it. But that is such an interesting premise. And instead of the five people who you'd want to eat dinner with, you used to kind of flip that a little bit to the five people you would give toast to. It's good to know that you liked it. I, I definitely need to move it up my list. It's a good one. So my next is Musical Chairs by Amy Popel. Bridget and Will's decades-long relationship seems perfect, except it's platonic, to the amusement and confusion of their friends. The chamber group they formed as students, the Forsyth Trio, is now struggling and without a violinist. Bridget was hoping for a perfect and quiet summer with her boyfriend, Sterling, but her plans are dashed when he breaks up with her, and her twins, who are in their 20s, show up unexpectedly, bringing all of their own drama with them. To top it all off, her father announces that he is getting married. Hoping to kill two birds with one stone, Bridget comes up with a plan to host the wedding that will hopefully also bring attention back to the Forsyth trio. However, for that to work, she and Will need to recruit Gavin, their old violinist, to come back to the trio. Popel's signature wit and insight into family dynamics will delight and entertain readers. I am a huge fan of Amy and all three of her books, and I recommend them to people all the time. This book was one we selected for my online book club that's affiliated with my salon, and we went well over an hour talking about this book. I knew it was going to be popular, but it's probably the most popular book we've discussed, and we just talked and talked and talked about it. So I know there's a whole lot of things that book clubs can discuss in terms of family, why male-female friendships don't seem to be that common, how life throws curveballs, adult children returning home, and so much more. So that is Musical Chairs by Amy Popel. It's another one I haven't gotten to yet, but it's got a beautiful cover and you've inspired me to maybe introduce it to my book club. Yes, I was surprised because I, like I said, I love her books. I've read them all and I thought it was a good choice, but I couldn't believe how long we talked about it and how much everybody enjoyed the book and then really entered into the discussion about it. All right. So my next one is Mudbound by Hilary Jordan. This is a historical fiction set in 1946. City-bred Laura McAllen is trying to raise her children on her husband's Mississippi Delta farm. And the descriptions of this farm are, I mean, there's a lot of dirt. But she finds the place very foreign and frightening. In the midst of the family struggles, two men return from World War II to work the land. Jamie McAllen, who is Laura's brother-in-law, and everything her husband is not, charming, handsome, and haunted by memories of combat. And Roncel Jackson, the eldest son of the black sharecroppers who live on the McAllen farm, has come home with the shine of a war hero. But no matter his bravery in defense of his country, he is still considered less than a man in the Jim Crow South. It is the unlikely friendship of these two brothers-in-arms that make this book so special. The men and women of each family relate their versions of events as we are drawn into their lives as they become players in a tragedy on the grandest scale. Barbara Kingsolver, who I dearly love as an author, says of Hillary Jordan, her characters walked straight out of the 1940s Mississippi and into the part of my brain where sympathy and anger and love reside, leaving my heart racing. They are with me still. I don't think I could say it better. And I, I loved this book and I read it maybe a year or so after I read The Help, and it kind of reminded me of a grittier version of The Help. And we still sell it really well at Fabled. I loved it. That's Mudbound by Hillary Jordan. 
That sounds really good. And I have definitely not read that one, but it does sound like there'd be a ton to discuss for a book club as well. Mm -hmm. For sure. My next book is Winter Counts by David Hesco Wombly Wyden. Winter Counts is the first book in a mystery series starring Virgil Wounded Horse, a vigilante enforcer on the Rosebud Indian Reservation in South Dakota. He is hired by those seeking justice when the American legal system or tribal council fails them. Heroin has turned up on the reservation, and its presence has personally impacted Virgil. Enlisted by his ex-girlfriend's father to find the heroin dealers, Virgil heads to Denver to find the heroin source and to piece together how seemingly unrelated events are connected. Wyden's stellar writing and absorbing mystery is accompanied by a look at life on a reservation today. As an enrolled member of the Lakota Nation, the tribe that lives on the Rosebud Indian Reservation, Wyden credibly details what life is like on the reservation, the broken criminal justice system, what it means to be Native American in 2020 when the book was written, and the challenges faced by those trying to preserve their own cultural identity, while also finding a place within their larger community. I interviewed him when this book came out, and he talked a lot about a book too, which I thought was supposed to come out last year, and I have not seen it nor heard anything about it, so I'm not sure the status of that. But Winter Counts has won all sorts of awards and provides so much to chat about with the group, again, about what life is like on a reservation today, preserving cultural traditions, the way crime on a reservation is dealt with, cultural stereotypes, and lots of other things. It's a very thought-provoking book. And that's Winter Counts by David Heska Wombly Wyden. I loved that book. And I really learned a whole lot about the criminal justice system. And I think it is, is it that federal crimes um, that occur on a reservation that the United States government does not? Yeah. So if anything that is not a minor crime, so any felony is dealt with by the U.S. system instead of the tribal system, but they don't really want to deal with them. So a lot of times they just keep pushing them off or they don't charge anybody. And so instead, they have to have these vigilante people who will take care of the crimes instead. Yes, I learned a lot about that, too, in the way healthcare works and food and how they've lost a lot of their food traditions and some of that. I thought it was very, very interesting. Yeah, it reminded me of the show Longmire, which is one I really loved. So if you, if you happen to love the show Longmire, you would definitely enjoy this book. I loved Longmire, too, and I was so sad when it was canceled. Oh, me, too. Okay, so my next book is a set of short stories. I wanted to have a different genre in here. And I included my favorite short story collection of all time, which is Interpreter of Maladies by Jempa Lahiri. And this book we actually did for my book club as well. And it was a favorite from our book club in, over the last 20 years. So navigating between the Indian traditions they've inherited in the baffling new world, the characters in Jempa Lahiri's elegant, touching stories seek love beyond the barriers of culture and generations. Uh, one of the stories is called A Temporary Matter, published in The New Yorker. A young Indian-American couple faces the heartbreak of, still, of a stillborn birth while their Boston neighborhood copes with nightly blackouts. In the title story, an interpreter guides an American family through the India of their ancestors, and here's an astonishing confession. Lahiri writes with a deft cultural insight reminiscent of Anita Desai and a nuanced depth that recalls Mavis Gallant. I also loved it because we had really good Indian food that night. But this is one I, I just still see it on our shelves and it makes me so happy. It's my favorite of her books and also the best short story collection I ever read. That is Interpreter of Maladies by Jempa Lahiri. 
I always see that book and people rave about it, but I have never read it. It's a good one. But what's funny is that my next book is also a collection of short stories. Oh, how funny. (laughs) Yeah. So mine is Land of Big Numbers by Taping Chen. Gripping and compassionate, Land of Big Numbers depicts the diverse Chinese people, their history, their government, and how all of that has tumbled, messily, violently, but still beautifully, into the present. Cutting between clear-eyed realism and tongue-in-cheek magical realism, Chen's stories coalesce into a portrait of a people striving for openings where mobility is limited. Twins take radically different paths. One becomes a professional gamer, the other a political activist. A woman moves to the city to work at a government call center and is followed by her violent ex-boyfriend. And a group of people sit, trapped for no reason, on a subway platform for months, waiting for official permission to leave. As I mentioned before, the stories combine razor-sharp commentary on life in a country governed by a communist regime, combined with elements of magical realism, and the effect is almost always superb and at times surreal. Two of my favorite stories in the collection are, and I'll probably say this wrong, but Gebeku Spirit, which follows a group of citizens who end up stranded for months on a subway platform, kept there by the station's guards, and Flying Machine, which tells the story of an elderly man who, against all odds, keeps trying to build an airplane out of items he accumulates. Chen's inspiration for the stories come from her years spent as a Wall Street Journal correspondent living in Beijing, and these thought-provoking stories have stayed with me. I still frequently find myself thinking about them as I go about my day. And I think that there is so much to talk about with communism and China and how diverse the country is, because a lot of times I think people sort of take one belief they have about China and put it on the entire country when instead the country is huge and incredibly diverse. And her stories do a really wonderful job of portraying that. And that is Land of Big Numbers by Taping Chen. That one sounds great. Don't you think that uh, short stories are really um, having a moment? It seems like uh, everyone is coming up with a short story collection, and I think they're getting better and better, a little more accessible. I think that's right, because I didn't used to love short stories, but I do I do find that I will like reading them. Usually several will resonate with me more than others. You know who has a collection coming out is Jess Walter. Really? Yes, it's coming out this summer, and I can't wait. I love him, so I'm really excited to see that. But I do think you're right that they're having a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Laura Lippman had an, one called Seasonal Work that just came out that I really enjoyed as well. I loved that one too. And in fact, I almost put it on the list, but then I thought, well, I did this one instead. But I think it would be a great one for book clubs as well. Yeah, she's actually, she lived in Waco for a while. And one of her stories has a woman dying because she's trying to cross the street to get a breakfast burrito in Waco. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know she'd lived in Waco. Yeah, she worked at our um, newspaper. So look at that. Yes. Most of her stories are in Baltimore, of course, but we do have a little Waco connection. So I love that. All right. Well, speaking of mysteries, I I wanted to add one. I think mysteries and thrillers sometimes are hard to discuss at a book club, especially because there's always one or two people there who are there for the food and swear they're going to read the book when they get home or finish it. And that kind of makes it hard to talk about. But I did think of one that I think would be a really good discussion book, and that is Someone We Know by Sherry LaPena. So I read this book when I had two teenage sons a couple of years ago, and this is a little portion of the book right here. This is a very difficult letter to write. I hope you will not hate us too much. My son broke into your home recently while you were out. Yikes, what a horrible 
horrible thought for a teenage boy mom. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) In a quiet, leafy suburb in upstate New York, a teenager has been sneaking into houses and into the owner's computers as well, learning their secrets and maybe sharing some of them too. After two anonymous letters are received, whispers start to circulate and suspicion mounts. And when a woman down the street is found murdered, the tension reaches the breaking point. So I, I started this one. I actually, I was, it was a morning of a vacation. I started this book. I'd never read Sherry LaPena before. And I literally did not take this book out of my hands until I was finished. In fact, our child was meeting us at the bus station. He had just come in from the airport. And I said to my husband, you're going to have to drive because I (laughs) I cannot stop reading this book. So uh, fortunately, I finished right as he pulled up. So I didn't look like a terrible mother. But what I thought was so interesting was this, the son of theirs committed a crime and the parents are just in anguish. What do you do when your child commits a crime? Do you let the police handle it? Do you try to handle it on your own? And I mean, I was just utterly sick to my stomach reading this, the story. And again, it was because I had teenage boys, but it was such a, such an interesting, interesting book, interesting topic, and just a really fun read. And that is Someone We Know by Sherry LaPena. And it certainly sounds like there would be a lot to talk about in a book club. Oh, yes, for (laughs) sure. Everybody would probably have different ideas about what they would do or what other people should do. I know. I mean, I was thinking the same thing. I'm not sure what I would do because you don't want to, if, if you go to the police, I mean, there will be huge ramifications for their future, but you would expect anybody else to do that. So anyway. And it probably depends on the crime as well. Right. And of course, this one involves a murder. Yeah. So that's a bad one. That's a yes, bad Yes, that crime. is a bad one. <laughs> <laughs> on, the, on the scale of crimes, that is a bad one. Yeah, that's one you don't want to do. <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't, I don't recommend it. Please do not do that, sons. Yes. So my next one is one I have talked about before with you, but that is Once There Were Wolves by Charlotte McGonaghy. Once There Were Wolves is a beautiful and haunting story and is one of my favorite books of 2021. Inti Flynn arrives in Scotland with her twin sister Aggie to lead a team of biologists tasked with reintroducing 14 gray wolves into the remote highlands. She hopes to heal not only the dying landscape, but Aggie too, who was unmade by the terrible secrets that drove the sisters out of Alaska. Inti is not the woman she once was, either, changed by the harm she's witnessed, inflicted by humans on both the wild and each other. Yet as the wolves surprise everyone by thriving, Inti begins to let her guard down, even opening up herself to the possibility of love. But when a farmer is found dead, Inti knows where the town will lay blame. Unable to accept her wolves could be responsible, Inti makes a reckless decision to protect them. McGonaghy based the wolf reintroduction idea on the program that returned wolves to Yellowstone National Park, and she follows that process pretty closely with the wolves being numbered versus named and being left to their own devices as wild animals should be. Her writing is lyrical and poetic, and her descriptions of both the wolves and the wild Scottish landscape cause them to literally leap off the page. Her focus on the rewilding of the Scottish highlands as a result of the wolves' return is very interesting, and the issues raised when wild animals are reintroduced and the impact on the surrounding local community will provide lively conversation for people. It would also be very well paired with American Wolf, which is nonfiction, and that's by Nate Blakesley. And that is Once There Were Wolves by Charlotte McGonaghy. I recommended American Wolf today to a customer. It's one of my favorites. Charlotte is such such a phenomenal author. I loved migrations as well. I read American Wolf because of you. 
when I came to Fabled one of my times, you recommended it to me and I bought it. And now I recommend it all the time. I just loved it. And I think pairing those two together is particularly interesting with the fictional side and the nonfictional side. Oh, I think so too. All right. My next one is a self-help book, which I don't normally read, but this one really, really spoke to me. And that is Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. This is a self-help selection I truly found helpful, which is not typical of the genre for me. So drawing on a diverse array of real-life examples, from Amish farmers to hairy parents to Silicon Valley programmers, Newport identifies the common practices of digital minimalists and the ideas that underpin them. He shows how digital minimalists are rethinking their relationship to social media, rediscovering the pleasures of the offline world, and connecting with their inner selves through regular practices of solitude. He then shares strategies for integrating these practices into your own life, starting with a 30-day digital declutter process. Technology is intrinsically neither good nor bad. It should be a tool rather than an institution you are enslaved to. The key is using it to support your goals and values rather than letting it use you. This book shows the way. And I found this book so fascinating, the idea of even hitting likes it, it sort of sends this endorphin rush to your brain. And I thought, I don't want programmers in California deciding how my brain is going to work. But that really kind of, it, you don't realize it until you read a book like this. So I shared this with my own children, with my husband. And I think this would be a really, really interesting discussion with friends as well. And that's Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. I think that that sounds fascinating. And I think it's going to be really interesting in the next decade or two when studies really start to come out on social media and the impact on people, and as you said, the likes and liking different things, not only how it impacts you, but how it changes your digital footprint. I mean, there's just so much more out there than I think people realize sometimes. Yeah, you, this kind of points or shines a light on things that you all of a sudden will see in the real world and think, I know exactly what they're doing right now. So it's, it's good to be forearmed. Absolutely. So my next book is one that I talk about a lot, so people have probably already heard me speak about it, but it's Dragonfly by Leela Meacham. I am a huge fan of World War II historical fiction, and this is one of my very favorite stories set then. At the height of World War II, five idealistic young Americans receive a mysterious letter from the OSS, asking them if they are willing to fight for their country. The men and women come from very different backgrounds, a Texas athlete with German roots, an upper-crust son of a French mother and a wealthy businessman, a dirt-poor Midwestern fly fisherman, an orphaned fashion designer, and a ravishingly beautiful female fencer. All answer the call of duty, but each for a secret reason of his or her own. They bond immediately in a group codenamed Dragonfly. Soon after their training, they are dropped behind enemy lines and take up their false identities, isolated from one another except for a secret drop box but in close contact with the powerful Nazi elite who have Paris under siege. Thus begins a dramatic and riveting cat-and-mouse game as a young American seek to stay under the radar until a fatal misstep leads to the capture and the firing squad execution of one of their team. The genius of Dragonfly is Meacham's ability to vividly portray German-occupied Paris and the treachery that constantly existed for those working to remove Hitler and the Nazis. Her novel frequently proves the maxim, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry, as each agent must quickly and intelligently adjust to the challenges and unexpected issues that regularly arise. Clever, suspenseful, and character-driven. 
Dragonfly is a tour de force and will appeal to book clubs because there is just so much to talk about and analyze. Human nature, the war, what it was like living in Nazi-occupied Paris. There's just so many different things that you could talk about. And that is Dragonfly by Leela Meacham. I love that book too. And I really love that author. She is, a, I think she lives in San Antonio and a lot of her books are set in Texas. So she just passed away in the last couple of months. Did she really? I had no idea. Yeah, she'd had cancer for a while. And I'm terrible with time. So it may even be more than the last couple of months, but definitely it was in the last however many months she passed away. Oh, well, my favorite of hers is Roses, which is basically the Texas version of Gone with the Wind. I still need to read that. I think you recommended it on one of my episodes. And I need to go back and read those earlier books of hers. The only one I've read is Dragonfly. Oh, she's a good one. All right. My next one is These Is My Words by Nancy Turner. I included this backlist. It is still one that my book club talks about years later. I think we read this book maybe 15 years ago. Inspired by the author's own family memoirs, these words belong to Sarah Agnes Prine a woman of spirit and fire who forges a full and remarkable existence in a harsh, unfamiliar frontier. This is an epistolary novel, and I guess you would call it that. It's basically diary entries, her diary. You know, that's so interesting that you say that because I was just working on a list of books, and they weren't all just letters, and I was trying to figure out, do you just call them epistolary? I think I said epistolary in similar formats, but I think you could call it that. I guess you're writing a letter to yourself. Yeah, exactly. And I loved how Sarah's words become more refined and sophisticated as she ages and is more educated. Rich in authentic everyday details and alive with truly unforgettable characters, These Is My Words brilliantly brings a vanished world to breathtaking life again. I love this book and I recommend it all the time. It's just a sweet homage to her. I think it's her grandmother or her great-grandmother who came over on wagon train from, I think, Pennsylvania to the Arizona Territory. And I still think about the characters. And that is These Is My Words by Nancy Turner. Oh, that sounds really good. I'm not familiar with that at all. I'm going to definitely have to add that one to my list. Yes, it is loosely inspired by her great-grandmother, Sarah Agnes Prine. And I love all the little details and wondering if, you know, how close it is to, to her real life. And learning about what it was like then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love that time in history, or I think it's fascinating. So my next book is Meet Me at the Museum by Anne Youngson. This is a beautiful book told in epistolary format. When the curator of a Danish museum responds to a query about ancient exhibits, he doesn't expect a reply. Professor Anders Larsen, an urbane man of facts, has lost his wife along with his hopes and dreams for the future. He does not know that a query from a Mrs. Tina Hopgood about a world-famous antiquity in his museum is about to alter the course of his life. Oceans apart, an unexpected correspondence flourishes as they discover shared passions for history and nature, for useless objects left behind by loved ones, for the ancient and modern world, what is lost in time, what is gained, and what has stayed the same. Through intimate stories of joy, anguish, and discovery, each one bears their soul to the other and to the reader. I savored the book and the story, trying not to rush through it because it was just so poignant and beautiful. Youngson's writing is thoughtful and lyrical, and her reflections on life and the passage of time are captivating. Portions of this book reminded me a bit of Our Souls at Night by Kent Haruff, a favorite book of mine. I just love these types of stories of connection 
and people finding each other and those that they can bond with, whether it's over letters or in person. And I'm a huge fan of epistolary format. So that also really resonated with me. And that's Meet Me at the Museum by Anne Youngson. That sounds a little bit like 84 Train Cross Road or even Love and Saffron. And interestingly, I sold one of her books today. I loved The Narrowboat Summer and I sold it to a customer today. How fun is that? I never read that one, but it sounded really good. But I do love epistolary formats and it reminded me a lot of Love and Saffron other than Love and Saffron's, you know, a friendship. And this is a little bit different, but they're very similar in terms of the way the people get to know each other and discover different things about themselves and each other. Yes, I have not read this book yet, but because it's next to The Narrow Boat Summer, which I recommend a lot, I keep seeing it and it's calling my name. I think you'd love it. All right. So my last book is a book that has not come out yet. It's going to come out in June, but wow, what a fascinating book to talk about. And that is The Measure by Nikki Ehrlich. This is debut fiction out in June. Imagine a world where on one particular day, every human finds a box on their front porch with a string that alerts the owner as to how long his or her life will be. The measure explores the ramifications of this and even the tendency in America to divide people into giant monoliths. In this case, it's the short stringers and the long stringers. How people vote, find love, receive health care, etc. are all determined by the measure of their strings. I found this book so thought-provoking, heartbreaking, hopeful, and extremely discussion-worthy. I don't read a ton of speculative fiction, but I'm still thinking about this book months later, and that is The Measure by Nikki Ehrlich. At your recommendation, I picked this one up. I'm midway through it, and it is really good. And I agree with you completely that it is super thought-provoking, and it's just fascinating the things that she came up with in terms of like healthcare and some of the things you're describing and how people are divided by short strings and long strings. Such a clever premise. I know there's somebody who has a long string thinks that they can do all these daring things and they may be paralyzed because they're they're not promised that they're going to live pain-free. They're just, they're just still going to live. And I mean, there's, there's something like that on nearly every page throughout the book. I just absolutely cannot wait to sell this book. Yeah, I think it's going to do really well. And I was so glad that you had recommended it and I picked it up. Great. I'm glad. So my last one is We Are the Brennans by Tracy Lang. This terrific contemporary drama follows the Brennans, an Irish Catholic family whose bonds and livelihood are tested when a strange daughter, Sunday Brennan, is involved in a drunk driving incident and returns home to New York to recover. But it's not easy. She deserted them all and her high school sweetheart when she fled to California five years before with little explanation. While she is happily and immediately welcomed back into the family fold, Her arrival slowly triggers a release of long-held secrets, which spark a chain of events that require the Brennans to put aside their differences to keep their family intact. Sunday is determined to rebuild her life back on the East Coast, even if it means tiptoeing around her resentful brothers and an ex-fiancé. The longer she stays, however, the more she realizes that they need her just as much as she needs them. We Are the Brennans is a wonderfully rendered story that highlights the importance of family, but also reminds us that there are consequences no matter the choices made. There is much to discuss about this one, including secrets held by the family and the way the various members dealt with them. Hiding secrets creates much more drama and trouble than just allowing the truth to come out in real time. 
I think this book accurately portrays that. And when my book club read it, we had a lot to discuss about the way things were handled and why people did the various things that they did and how long choices can reverberate down a family line. And that is We Are the Brennans by Tracy Lang. That sounds like a good one. I I didn't read it. I don't read a lot of family drama, but I'm glad to know it was a good one. We still sell it well at the store. I don't read a lot of family drama either, but for some reason, this one really pulled me in and I ended up enjoying it a lot. That sounds like a good list. Well, I guess we both have 12, so we you have two years worth of book clubs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. All you got to do is just sit down and slot them in, right? That's right. <laughs> They're all winners. Well, Elizabeth, I am just absolutely thrilled that we got to chat again. It had been way too long, and this was such a fun book club discussion talk. And I now have lots of books to recommend to my book club from you. And hopefully other people have lots of books to recommend to their book clubs. Yes, I enjoy talking to you too. And I always love a thought provoking book. I agree completely. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional Professional Book Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them and their go to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading! Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. I hope you'll tune in next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.